Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Golds. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Mother Nature is unforgiving and life on this planet is a fragile thing. Here one minute and gone the next in the blink of an eye. Despite this, however, from time to time, people can show a resilience when facing dire circumstances that is nothing short of extraordinary. These are the five most amazing wilderness and ocean survival stories. Number five, Yossi Ginsberg. It started as a promising adventure. Yossi Ginsberg's dream was to hike into uncharted areas of the Amazon rainforest. The thought of discovering places that may never have been seen by man was something he thought would be spectacular. In 1981, at the age of 21, after serving in the Israeli Navy, he headed out to South America to make his dream become a reality. Along the way, he met some new friends, Marcus Stamm from Switzerland, Kevin Gale, an American photographer, and Karl Ruprechter, an Austrian who claimed to be a geologist in search of an indigenous tribe and that he knew how to get them into the deep jungle. Despite hardly knowing each other, the four set out on foot for the remote heart of the Amazon jungle. They stopped at various isolated villages and towns to restock on supplies and food. The villagers warned them of the dangers of their path 
but they pressed through in the dense jungle regardless. After several days of hiking and no more villages, they eventually ran low on food, and that's when the group discovered that Carl was not a geologist at all, but a criminal looking for gold, and that he had no idea how to reach any remote indigenous tribe or where he was going. With distrust and stress high, the group split up. Ginsberg and Gale built a raft in order to travel faster, and the other two decided to walk because Carl couldn't swim. The men used their raft and floated down the river, but while nearing a waterfall, tragedy struck. They lost control when the raft broke apart, sending them into the water. Gale managed to head to the shore, but Ginsberg got caught in the current and fell over the waterfall. Gale was stranded for a few days until local fishermen rescued him, but Ginsberg, for the first time, found himself alone, so he tried heading upriver to find Gale. For days, he traveled and was in constant danger from being eaten by beasts of prey and suffered heavily from being bitten by red ants as his body began to break down. Twice, he fell chest deep into a bog and almost drowned when the area became flooded. He scavenged for food, eating wild berries, raw eggs from nests, and even waited for monkeys to fall so he could eat them. His body was physically breaking down. Leeches would suck his blood while he slept and his legs began to rot from the infected wounds. He ended up spending three weeks alone in that jungle, and without any food, Ginsberg admits that at one point he had a hallucination of a woman who needed his protection. It was this woman that compelled him to do everything he could do to survive. He needed to save her. His feet eventually became so painful, walking became impossible, and he asked God for death so he could finally be at peace. After 21 days, he heard the buzzing of an engine and made his way back towards the river where his friend, Kevin Gale, was with a local searching for him. He was carried to the boat by the two men and ended up in the hospital, taking three months to recover. They searched for the other two original hikers, but unfortunately, they were never found. Today, Yossi Ginsberg is a motivational speaker and tech entrepreneur who has also built an eco-lodge for the locals that helped him that will promote tourism without further damaging the rainforest. Number 4. Debbie Kiley It was October of 1982. Debbie Kiley was a 26-year-old sailor who went out with four friends on a boat on a routine trip from Maine to Florida. From the onset, though, she noticed that there was something wrong. The skipper was lazy, two men on the boat kept bickering, and the 58-foot sailing yacht they were on called the Trash Man wasn't properly maintained. They made a stopover in Annapolis, Maryland, and it was here on their next leg when they were caught in a fierce storm. The boat was tossed in strong 60-knot winds and huge 40-50-foot to 50 foot swells, they barely had time to let the Coast Guard know they were having trouble, let alone inflate a life raft when the yacht sank in open waters. For the next five days, the five survivors clung onto a dinghy, and one by one, they succumbed to their deaths. The skipper and another man drank seawater out of thirst. Both became delusional and slid off the boat where they were eventually eaten by sharks. The other woman on the crew was the skipper's girlfriend, 
She didn't like boats, and on the night of the accident, she suffered a horrible wound to her leg and soon died. After five days, Debbie and another male named Brad were finally spotted by a Russian freighter that brought them back to the U.S. Debbie would go on to write two books about the ordeal and is an active speaker and humanitarian today. Number three, Joe Simpson and Simon Yates. For Joe Simpson and Simon Yates, the mountains were home. The two young men were in Peru in 1985, climbing the remote Sula Grande. Simpson was 25 years old and Yates was 21 at the time. The two reached the summit two days after leaving base camp, but they say getting up is always easier than coming down. The next day, while descending, Simpson slipped and fell. The impact was so severe he immediately knew he broke his leg, and by then he thought he was as good as dead. Being a climber, he understood it would be near impossible to find help and be rescued up in the mountains. Simpson would say that Yates should have left him, but instead he tried to help him come down the mountain. Yates gave him drugs for the pain and then tied him into a bucket seat and lowered him down the mountain slowly. Afterwards, he would climb down himself, and they'd do the same thing over and over again. Near sunset, they decided to try their luck one last time, hoping to find better shelter once they were lower. But darkness came quick, and they were unable to see that below where they were descending was nothing but a sheer cliff. Once Simpson was sent down, he wasn't able to support his body and spiraled out of control. He tried gathering a foothold, but the snow was too soft and his ice pick wouldn't hold. This put a strain on the rope and Yates could feel Simpson falling faster until the rope jerked, leaving Simpson dangling in space and all the strain on Yates. Freezing and straining for over an hour, Yates was trying to ward off any movement that could send them both to their deaths. Then without warning, the snow seat Yates carved himself started to give and he knew he had to cut the rope, otherwise he would die too. When the rope was cut, Simpson miraculously landed on a ledge and onto soft snow instead of the deep crevice five feet to his right. Yates, meanwhile, despite shock and exhaustion, continued heading to base camp the next morning. He looked over the cliff for his friend, but couldn't see anything and thought he had fallen to his death. Simpson managed to pull his way from the snowy cavern and spent the next four days without food and water, crawling six miles downhill over large boulders to reach base camp. When he finally got there, he was severely dehydrated and thought Yates had left camp and that he would die alone. But he hadn't left yet, and Simpson was in disbelief when he heard his friend call out his name. The pair eventually managed to reach civilization, Doctors who operated on Simpson said he would never climb again, but he ended up disproving them by climbing the Andes years later. Simpson holds no blame for what his climbing partner did. In fact, the first thing he did when he got back to base camp was thank him for trying to save his life. Despite many condemning Yates for what he had done, the truth is that when that rope was cut, Yates inadvertently saved both their lives. Number two, Jan Balsrud. Part of the Norwegian resistance, 
Jan Balsrud was trained by the British in special operations to assist in helping free his country. On March 24, 1943, Jan, with 10 other comrades, sailed aboard a 75-foot fishing vessel named the Bratholm on a mission to destroy a German air control tower. The group was given the name of the store owner to contact, but what they didn't know was that their real contact had died and the replacement was someone who sympathized with the Germans. Soon after landing, the Germans ambushed the ship, but it was filled with explosives for the mission and since their cover was blown, the men decided to detonate them, hoping to buy some time for them to escape. The men's lifeboats had already been destroyed by the enemy soldiers, which left them in open freezing waters, frantically swimming to shore. Jan somehow managed to make it, but most of the other men were rounded up and killed. He then marched for days in the desolate cold, walking mile after mile on unbroken snow with only one boot. His main thought was to get to the safety of Sweden. At times, he would march for as long as 28 hours straight in enemy territory. Farmers and people he met along the way who were sympathetic to the Norwegian cause for freedom sustained him. He would knock on doors, sometimes near death, not knowing if the person inside would help him or turn him in. Among his helpers was a man who outfitted him with skis and boots, rowing him to another shore at night to avoid German sentries. Just as it seemed the rest of his trip would be a bit easier now with the new equipment, a blizzard struck. Jan found his eyes frozen shut and he had trouble breathing. Not being able to see anything, he ended up climbing a 3,000-foot-high mountain without even realizing it. After three days of wandering, he stumbled across the small village of Furroflaten. Spotting a house, he tumbled inside, and to his luck, it was the home of Marius Granvall's sister. Marius was a resistance sympathizer, and soon Jan found himself being nursed back to health. But it was clear that he would not be able to walk anymore alone. So Marius recruited other people to help smuggle Jan to the border. They placed him in a stretcher, and Marius and his friends trekked through the snow until the terrain became too steep to continue. They had to leave Jan in a small shed with some food, water, a knife, and liquor, and promised to return with more help. During that time, Jan, fearing the infection on his leg would spread further, decided to amputate his big toe. Shortly after, Marius did return and this time had a sled. The group painstakingly pulled him along a mountainous ridge, but needed more men. At this point, Jan felt so hopeless when he was left alone again that he actually tried to kill himself, but the gun trigger had frozen solid. The helpers returned and took him as far south as they could. Jan ended up spending the next 17 days inside a cave where he further amputated his toes to prevent infection. Finally, an indigenous tribe, the Sami, came to help and brought a team of reindeer. They pulled the sled across a frozen lake and took Jan all the way up to the safety of the Swedish border. Jan was able to fully recover and ended up helping train the Allied soldiers in marksmanship. He became a folk hero and his story of resilience and devotion to the resistance is well known in that part of the world. Number 1. Jose Salvador Alvarenga 
Jose Alvarenga was a fisherman last seen sailing with another fisherman named Ezequiel Cordoba on November 18, 2012. Jose had meant to go with his usual partner out off the coast of Mexico, but he canceled at the last minute. Aboard the 25-foot boat, the men managed to capture their fill of fish, but that's when their luck ran out. After being hit by a storm, they were blown off course. Jose radioed for help just before all electronics stopped functioning. Soon after that, their engine died as well. As the storm grew stronger, they were forced to dump their catch in a desperate attempt to stabilize the boat. The vessel was tossed around while the two men took turns, frantically bailing water. When the storm finally subsided, Jose realized they had drifted too far from Mexico's shore. Despite seeing various planes overhead, their boat was too tiny and they didn't have a mast, so it was impossible to spot overhead. The two survived by capturing fish with their bare hands, and they would eat them raw or in dried out pieces. With their bodies starving for protein and water, they would capture seabirds and sea turtles and drink their blood. Whenever they caught a bird, they would eat every single part of it, but their food source was scarce and the men would go several days without eating anything. To survive, they also scavenged anything they could find floating in the ocean from plastic bottles to garbage. One time they got a bag of spoiled milk, rotten vegetables, and chewed out gum, all of which they still ate and drank out of hunger and thirst. There was no shelter on the boat except the small icebox they used to store their catch, and the two men would huddle in this to shield themselves from the elements. Jose was stressed but calm about the ordeal, but Cordoba was the opposite and spent most days crying in despair. Jose tried to console him, telling him they would be rescued eventually, but Cordoba had already begun his physical and mental decline. At some point after getting sick from eating a raw bird, he completely refused to eat anymore. They promised one another that whoever would survive would visit the other's family and soon after, Cordoba passed away. Jose slid his body into the water days later. Even though he suffered guilt and even envy for his friend's passing, his fear of committing suicide was even greater. Now alone, this man kept himself busy by letting his imagination run wild. He would dream of fantastic food or walk around the deck of the boat pretending he was wandering the world. He did anything to keep his mind occupied and track time by using lunar cycles, for which he counted an amazing 15 since they were first set adrift. Soon after that, he noticed shorebirds whizzing by and saw a small tropical island emerge from the blue waters. He had landed on a Marshall Island and was finally rescued when a couple living there found him. He was taken to the hospital and nursed back to health, and he kept his promise to Cordoba and visited his mother to deliver his message. It's estimated he traveled somewhere between 5,500 and 6,500 miles during the ordeal and survived an unbelievable 438 days adrift on the open ocean. So there were the five most amazing wilderness and ocean survival stories. Surviving the elements takes grit, strength, and a lot of luck. But more than any of those, as these men and women have shown, it takes a determination and a will to push on, no matter how dire the situation may seem. 
If you like this video, then please let us know by hitting that like button. And remember to subscribe so that every week we can bring you a new Scary Mysteries video to check out. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next week.